This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Tanner Olson, and this is the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Here we talk about hope and heaviness, creating and continuing joy and sorrow, life and God, questions and answers, and everything in between. This is a podcast where you were invited to slow down, to lean in, to hold fast, and to eventually, to eventually keep going. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. I'm just happy to be here, and as always, I'm just happy that you are here as well. I am thrilled to share with you this episode. On today's episode, I have my friend Justin McRoberts. Justin is a full-time artist and spiritual guide. He's an author, and he's also a poet. If you follow my work on Instagram, you've probably seen me share Justin's words from there from time to time. He is full of wisdom and hope. In our conversation today, we chat about his latest book titled Sacred Strides, The Journey to Belovedness in Work and Rest. Sacred Strides looks at finding balance between work and Sabbath rest. Justin, he leads readers on their journey from false self to true self, discovering that growth and maturity take root in the knowledge of their belovedness in Christ. And I got to tell y'all, it's a fantastic book. When we were doing the interview, I was about four chapters in, but now that I've got a chance to read the entire book, it is, it's incredible. I think you're really going to love what he has to say on today's episode, and you're going to love his new book, which will be linked in the show notes as well. All right, let's not waste any more time. Here is my conversation with Justin McRoberts. Justin McRoberts, when someone asks you, what do you do? What do you tell them? I tell them I'm an artist. uh, And I use that blanket term to reference uh, any number of things that I do, um, which will include writing books, uh, that we'll be talking about today. I also do a lot of spiritual formation work, which is a form of art. Um, as a as a coach, or as a spiritual director, or as a or a retreat leader, um, I also I have my own podcast, um, which is a form of art. Um, I also daily post things to the internet, mostly in some form of uh, kind of poetic structure, which is a form of art. Um, but I'm an artist, and that allows me to apply my 
my gifts and my talents as best I possibly can to an, any number of fields. You say that like so easily, like I'm an artist. Has it always been that way for you? Or was there a point like I know for myself, it took me a long time to be like, no, I am an artist. But for you, was it kind of just like you owned it? Or was there a moment or time you're like, you really had to be like, this is what I do. This is who I am. Uh, it, no, it wasn't immediate, and, and uh, but it wasn't like a struggle. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I didn't have the, I didn't have like the shame spiral thing that a lot of us talk about, or like I'm not a real artist. I never had that. Um, what I did have was, um, so I pastored a church. I helped to pastor a church for uh, about 20 years, and I took on the mantle, the 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 title pastor, pretty like because it's in the, I mean, it's on paper. <laughs> like, yeah. But, you know, a major denomination in the United States, like, called me a pastor. So I'm a pastor. And I think the artist part of what I did, of what I was doing at the time, because I was still, I was writing songs and touring. And while I was helping pastor this church, I was starting to write books. Um, In religious, this is more conversation than you wanted. In more, in religious con uh, context, in institutional religious contexts, art uh, and art practices get minimized. Mm -hmm. And so like, it was either like neat or cute or like some form of smallness, mm. like the real work is going on here. We're, pre we're preaching sermons and doing these mission projects, et cetera. And you know, Justin, Justin will come off his little tour and then so it it was and it wasn't like again it wasn't like shame spiral thing in me which is the context I was living in for a long time mm -hmm. my my work as an artist was peripheral and sometimes mm -hmm. kind of too easy to dismiss it was like the hippie kid youthful thing that I was doing um when I wasn't doing the serious work of pastoring a church yeah. when when the church dissolved and there's a bit of that story in the um in the book it just became much easier to say, okay, this is, I'm, I'm an artist and, mm -hmm. and fold into capital A artist, even things like soul care. Mm. I like that. That's good. It took me a while. Like I said, it took me a little while to be like, no, this is, you are, I had a lot of pushback yeah. or like, I'm not good enough. And I think a lot of people probably listen to this podcast are like, I want to be an artist. It's like, well, maybe if you just begin to call yourself that you can kind of live into that as yeah. well. So Seth Godin, his his definition, uh, I don't know if he calls it a definition, but Seth Godin, a thing he has said about art is art is anything you create that forges a connection between people. Hmm. So if art is anything I create that forges a connection between people, then um, art and uh, uh, seeing myself an art as an artist has less to do with like a vocational title and more to do with like granting myself permission to lovingly do the things I do best. So if you are a, if you are a great neighbor and you're really intentional about that and you plan parties and do like nacho day and nacho night and like have kids at the house and if you're the neighbor that like rents the water thing <laughs> the water slide dealio like if you're that neighbor like you're doing art mm -hmm. um if you're not painting and all that kind of stuff but you know we call the traditional arts and we can have that conversation too but Art is anything you do. If art is anything you do that forges a connection between people, then calling yourself an artist really is mostly a way to grant yourself a level of seriousness about the things that you do to love people. One of the things I 
like about you and following your work is a lot of people tend to come at it, come at things from like this straight on angle. But I, but I feel like what you do is like you like parachute in at a different angle and then just drop in and be like, well, what about this? And I love the way that you just like, you kind of like turn that around and be like, well, you can be an artist, but an artist is actually this. And so if you yeah. do this, you're also that. And in reading your new book, I also feel like you just kind of parachute in and say, well, let's think about it this way. We've thought about it like this for a long time, but let's yeah. think about it like this. And so your new book, Sacred Strides, The Journey to Belovedness in Work and Rest. I told you yesterday, I'm like a couple of chapters in. I freaking love it. It's great. But can you can you give us just a little overview of the book? Sure. I mean, the the heartbeat of the book begins with begins in is kind of sent um, captured in this poem uh, mm -hmm. that I included in the book. That my natural posture is not rest, nor is my natural posture work. My natural posture is belovedness, and work and rest flow from my belovedness and return me to it. So on the surface, it's a book about work rest rhythms. Like that's that's how the book will be pitched. And I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about that because it's, it's not not about that. Mm -hmm. But work is not an end to itself, nor is rest an end to itself, nor are the antitheses to one another. Work and rest are both practices of identity. They're they're ex they're explorations of and um, and expressions of who we are, and who I am is the thing that is underneath both work and rest, which is I am beloved. So, out of my belovedness, I give the best I can to the world around me. That's my practice of work, and out of my belovedness, I know that I'm more than the things I accomplish. And that is rest as, as an expression of belovedness. So Sacred Strides is a book of 15 stories and some reflection around those stories about the rhythm and the tension between work and rest and the way that forms and informs my own belovedness. That's beautiful. Also, I'm a little upset with you because I did some homework before this and I wrote down that poem that's in the book and I was going to bring it up later, but sure, you brought it up, which is great. It up. It's, I'm I, was read, I was reading through it and I was like, and I sat and I sat with that for a little while. And this is what you do on the internet most days is you, you take about 30 words, you put them in a perfect order and you say, here's something I'm offering to the world, an invitation for people just to like to rest and to sit with this. Um, also in the book, you write this and I'm going to ask you to kind of expand upon it after yeah. I read it. But, but you write this, you said, God wants you and me doing work that lights our hearts on fire. More than that, God wants us to God wants to be with us in that work. God also wants you and me resting deeply from that or any other work. And he wants you and me to rest in and with him when we do. I don't think God is hoping we become more efficient and effective workers or even well-rested children. I think God simply wants to be with us. Can you go yeah. off on that for a second? Yeah, man. So um, one of the one of the little mantra pieces that informed the well, it informed it didn't inform the book, but more so inspired the book because a guy named Parker Palmer, uh, he writes in a book called The Active Life that um I say work and rest because it's just simpler kind of front port front porch language. A uh, Parker Palmer talks about action and contemplation, which he borrows from from Thomas Merton. And what he says is that both action 
uh, and contemplation uh, are one at the root. Uh, and they spring from our relentless desire to be fully alive. So when my desire to work, when I, when I pursue work, I, I'm pursuing work because I want to experience the fullness of life. And when I rest, I rest because I want to experience the fullness of life. So this, uh, you know, it's, well, I'll go to this. So the, the chapter that comes from is a chapter in which, uh, I talk about about my dad um, and being with my dad. It turns out from, and this is not just a theological statement. When Parker Palmer says our relentless, our, it talks about our relentless desire to be fully alive. What I identify that as is, a, is to be connected to the source of all things, which is to say like to have, someone would say to have a relationship with God or to be in union with the divine. Like whatever you want to say it, that's cool. I think we're designed to be tapped into the source of life. I think we're designed to have a relationship with God. I think we're designed to be connected to the root of all things and that that's where the fullness of life is. So um, if that's true, then that desire comes from the one who made everything. And therefore, then that's what God's desire is, is to simply be with us. And that desire is like stirred and 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 touched on and prodded in work and rest. So back to the chapter, um, my, my neighborhood friends, the, the, the guys I grew up around, Braden, Chris, Jason, Kellis, um, they had stuff with their dads. So like Kellis played baseball with his dad. It was like his thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Braden did work projects with his dad. His dad was a contractor. And so they would like build stuff with nails and hammers and stuff like that. Chris went surfing with his dad. They were the neighborhood wealthy kids. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the wealthy family, like we're going to Bali or whatever. Uh, and Jason uh, went duck hunting with his dad. Like they all had a thing. My mm -hmm. dad, um, my dad's job was such that for most of my youth, like he would leave like 5.45, 6 a.m. And he'd get back like 6.45, 7 p.m. So we didn't have... We didn't have those that same kind of connection. We we had a connection, but the thing I mostly knew about my dad was like his work, right? So he 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 get up in the morning and I I would see him like put on an aftershave and his tie and a suit, and I I I I learned to like I wanted I wanted to work like my dad, not because like I wanted to become a great worker, but because like I wanted to be like my dad, like I wanted to be around him. So I would get up in the morning to watch him get ready for work. Later in life, when uh, the, his job changed enough and I'd grown into my body, come to find out, like, he he liked to run. And uh, so I started running with my dad. That became our thing. It didn't happen until much later in life. I was like 17, 16, 17, mm -hmm. started running with my dad. And, I mean, he kind of recognized it. Like, I wasn't trying to just get in shape because I was trying to land chicks. Like, yeah. I just... <laughs> Because I was not trying to land checks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bad at it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he reckoned, like, I wanted to go running with him. Mm -hmm. So we ran together for a few years. And towards the tail end of his life, when his mental health started to fall apart, his body started to fall apart. And the chapter this comes from is a chapter in which I I, I, I recall that last run with him. And, um, you know, we got him about a mile and a half into this run. And he just he couldn't go any further. He had a bad knee. He had a rib injury. There was a bunch happening. And he started to apologize to me for not being able to finish the run as if 
the ball game was to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. We said five miles, we're going to do five miles. That's the goal. But that was not really the goal. The only reason, the real reason I was out there was not to do the five miles. I just wanted to be with my dad. So what does it look like to be with my dad for the mile and a half walking back was like, I supported his weight and helped him limp back because he couldn't walk on his knee. That was not a lesser form of being with my dad than actually finishing the five miles. The heart and soul of God's desire for humanity is to simply be with us and for us to be with one another. We experience and practice that in work. We experience and practice that in rest. But the goal is to not work well and the goal is to not rest well. The goal is to tap into the source and to be loved. When I was reading that chapter, I, I couldn't help fit but think in a similar way, the thing that my dad and I did, we would just shoot hoops. And it wasn't it wasn't about like, I mean, it was about making the shot, but it wasn't about making the shot. It wasn't about, you know, getting better as a basketball player. It was about spending time with my dad and just doing that thing together. Uh, this book, I think, is extremely timely post COVID. I don't know what COVID was like for you, but for me, I had just kind of gone off on my own. It's like, I'm going to be a, a writer and a speaker and I'm going to travel and I'm going to do all this like touring stuff. And then the world shuts down. And so then for the next year and a half, I was basically in my house overthinking everything and trying to make everything happen and working eight days a week and like not sleeping well and just, just going, basically spinning the tires and yeah. disregarded rest was was working but was i actually working and i mm. you know and then towards the end of the pandemic ish whatever you know whenever that was uh, my wife really was like you need to you really need to start doing what you're saying and i was talking a, a big talk about how we should rest how we should take time to just rest and to be and reading this book as i'm reading through this i'm like yes you're right why didn't you write this right before the pandemic, Justin? Yes, this is good. Uh, well, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, well, what does what does what does Sabbath look like for you? What does rest look like for you? Because I know it looks different for looks different for everybody. And you 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 write about that in the book. But what does like Sabbath or rest look like uh, for Justin McRoberts? So I have to be if, as best as possible. I've got to get outside. So even if the weather's trash, like <laughs> being outdoors is a big deal. So right now, like. Like I work in my garage, this is my garage office, this is one corner, Beautiful. and the, the garage door is open. Uh, I, if I go lots of days without being outdoors, like I, like I'm not, I'm not a happy guy. So yeah. part of my Sabbath practice is that I need to be outside and I need to move around. So mm -hmm. I'll take a long run or a long bike ride outside. Uh, I do like to exercise in general, but like the, the meditative um nature of like a long run or a long ride uh is unique in my experience of it and so uh that's an aspect of of my sabbath practice there i like to read uh, and there are books that i will read on my sabbath because they're really deeply enjoyable um i don't like to hurry so i don't hurry on my sabbath so i don't schedule a whole lot like there'll be things i'll plan but i ha always have the permission given to myself uh to not do the things i had planned if they make me feel like i'm in a hurry um i get to spend unbridled time with my kids if they want it so it's not like i don't spend time with my kids on other days yeah. 
But on the Sabbath day, if I'm hanging out with my kids, I don't have like a thing that I've got to get to. It's not like, well, dad's got 10 minutes, so let's finish wrestling. <laughs> no, we're just, we're, we're done when we're done. Yeah. Uh, and so I get to like be, just be fully present uh, to my kids. So things like that right now, that's what Sabbath keeping looks like is long runs, long rides. Uh, it looks like reading. It looks like being outside and it looks like not hurrying. Um, and you're right. Like it changes over time uh, because I change over time. And because I know myself more over time, one of the things the Sabbath will do or can do, should do, I'll use the word should, one of the things Sabbath practice should do is invite us into a conversation with ourselves. Um, because I, when I started practicing Sabbath, I didn't know. Like, I, rest looks like this, I think. And I would try stuff and then it wouldn't work uh, or it wouldn't feel great. And so, okay, that must not be it. So it'll look different, you know, in a, in a year, different seasons. It'll look different in the winter than it does in the summer. I get to constantly ask myself what I need. I get to constantly ask myself what's bringing me joy. I get to constantly ask myself, you know, you know what am I joyful and happy about uh, mm. now that I can bask in. The Sabbath is also an invitation to actually just pay attention to how good my life is. What do you think we often get wrong about the Sabbath? Uh, that, well, several things, the, the, the two is one that there's a way to do it or a day to do it or whatever we, we, you know, Jesus gets after this a lot and, and the, the, it's not, it, we get caught in the legalism of it. And I, I, you know, I can approach that for just a second. Cause like, we know this, Yeah. but if, um, we get caught up in thinking there's a way we're supposed to pull it off or a day we're supposed to do it on, um, that's one of the primary issues. The other thing that goes that runs deeper is we think of rest in general, the Sabbath specifically, as like a divorce from uh, work life mm -hmm. and a, like a rescue from. It's like it's the um, it's the antithesis. It's the cure. Like I've been working and I need some rest. Right. Uh, what? What real rest, and that's part of what I'll, I'll go so far as to say, that's part of why we don't do it, is because right. we know we're not happy, and we don't want to sit in that. So what Sabbath actually is, it it certainly can clarify that. Mm -hmm. It certainly can clarify, like, okay, this is why, like, your your job does suck. Maybe it does. You might be right. Your job might really suck. Maybe. But... What the Sabbath really is at heart is is a lot letting the goodness of my life catch up with me. Hmm. Stopping and looking back and examining how ridiculously good it is. Most of your listeners, most of my listeners, most of the folks who pay attention to you and I right. live in a live in a pattern, live in a life in which like your life is stupid good. And the thing you and the thing you lack when it comes to the goodness of your life is the space to actually appreciate how good your life is. Because you're so quickly moving from one thing to the next, you don't know how good it is. And you're being smacked in the face by a world around you that tells you that you're not good enough and your job sucks. And every other meme on, on Instagram is complaining about the about world. It. About everything. <laughs> about everything. Everything's wrong. Everything's on fire. Everything is a problem. Everything, everything is a problem. problem. Everyone's an idiot. Yeah, you're not well. in the right job. Blah, blah, like, yeah. But when what Sabbath does is it actually gives me the opportunity to stop and look back and let the ridiculous goodness of my life catch up with me so that from the standpoint of how good I have it, 
how good most of my life is and how good God has been and is to me, I can then actually make an evaluation of like, okay, so what then doesn't fit? Because if I'm diagnosed in my life specifically from what just what doesn't work, and if I'm just in that negative headspace, I end up, and there's just no way around this psychologically, I end up projecting that onto other stuff. If I walk into the door of what's wrong with my life, I don't have a reference point for what health looks like. So we can talk about sickness all day long, but until we actually have a baseline understanding of what health looks like, we're just swimming around in different metaphors. Once I understand like this is how good my life is, this is what I'm really enjoying, then I can actually get into like what's not great. So that's the primary mistake I think we make when it comes to Sabbath keeping and rest is we think it's a rescue from the awfulness of life, but it's not. It's a rescue from the narrative that tells you that your life is awful so that you can receive how stupid good you've got it and then build a life that looks more like that going forward. Yeah. One of the things that, that it changed for me when thinking about rest is that you begin with rest. You don't begin with work like you begin with rest and then you move into work and so you kind of place it before you even begin to do the work and then it's that that weekly rhythm of like rest then work rest then work and for me that that's changed a lot um you mentioned you mentioned kind of slowing slowing down and, and thinking about the things that are good in your life has has writing, you know, especially writing poetry, the things that you've been sharing on on Instagram and, and Facebook, has that really helped you tap into that to see, hey, yeah, there are things in my life I wish that were different, but I'm able to see the goodness of God and what He is doing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love, I love uh, writing poetry for this reason specifically, is it causes me, causes me, invites me, challenges me, forces me at times to. Uh, to pay particular attention to particular word choices. So I'm, my brain is still going at the same pace. Yeah. Uh, I'm just paying more attention to the words that are in there. My life is still moving as fast as it would around me. And I'm just paying more particular attention to like, to what there is to notice there. Um, I was like, I mean, the title of, uh, of one of your volumes, I think it's just called walk a little slower. Is that the title? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that yeah. like, it's not, it's not just about physical pace. But um, reading reading and writing poetry does for the soul what a slow walk does for the body is it, it quite literally like like it slows down your, your conscious brain patterns so that you can pay attention to your to your subconscious a little bit. It slows you down enough that you can one know exactly what it is you're saying, mean exactly what is you're saying. And understand the gaps between that there's all this stuff that I don't know. Because I mm -hmm. here's what I do know is a really good thing to come to. Here's what I really want is a really good thing to come to. But but bigger than that, in between the spaces, and this is why poems tend to be shorter and more compact, mm -hmm. and is in between those spaces is all this mystery about what I don't know, about what I what I'm still wondering. And it gives me actually, it gives room for wonder. And for mystery, as opposed to <laughs> so much of the way I've written in the past, where it's like, here's 400 pages, chock full of words uh, that just like drown out the actual processes in my soul. So I love I love poetry for that reason. Yes. Yeah. Uh, last question before we get to the game is what is what is your relationship like with your phone? Because as we were talking, we we're talking about you know, we look at our phone and it's all this bad news, all this bad news. And I think for me, one of the things that pulls me away from rest and noticing the things that are good in my in my life 
is uh, my relationship with my phone. So what is that like for you or what do you wish it was like for you? Um, it is, um, I'll, I'll start by saying it is evolving and complex. Um, the, I give, I'm giving myself a lot of grace in, in the technological spheres of my life, because I think the questions we have about the questions I have, I slash we have about how to live healthily with digital tech are still really young questions. I mean, mm -hmm. Facebook is like, what, 19 years old? Like, it's barely, you know, it's just started voting last year. No, it can't vote yet. It's to, to, or maybe it can vote. Can it vote? Can, I think can it Facebook, can vote. You can vote. You oh, just can't. But will so, it vote? That's the question. It can, but uh, will it? So. You know, these are these are new questions. How does it look? What's it look like to live healthily with our digital tech? Um, so there's the grace here. Right now, my um, I spend less time um on my phone than i used to because i'm trying to manage less um i used to spend a whole lot of time on my phone because i would i would start conversations on facebook and then try to follow them out like political social political religious conversations yeah what i've come to because i i ask a lot of my guests a similar question about their relationship with tech and mm. um and and specifically social media i've really come to this that it's not like there aren't it's not like we don't have relationships with people through our phones. We do. Yeah. Um, they're different. Uh, and they're not quite as satisfying. Um, and so I want to treat, I, I want to honor those relationships and those connections. First and foremost, by recognizing which ones are real, like I would do with all my, all the rest of my friends, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> certain relationships are actually healthy, good life-giving life relationships. And just because you have, they, just because, here's a social rule, just because they have access to you doesn't mean they should. And mm -hmm. just because you have access to them doesn't mean you have to offer them your time. I mean, we know that about like the, our physical spaces. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're as comfortable making that determination because of how easy it is to connect on the phone. But I have moved into a phase in my life in which I am, I'm executing what Henry Nouwen calls the ministry of disappointment that I'm not as present to people to, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, text, mm -hmm. email. I'm just not as present as folks would like me to be. And, um, that's been healthier for me. I am therefore more present to the folks that I am present to, um, yeah. in those places. So that's, a, that's a, that's a complex, not complex. That's an oversimplified answer. Um, I know I need to be on my phone. Yeah, I know, I know that's a, I know that that's a place I need to spend time so I can connect with people I care about and do my job. I am very aware now of the the patterned uh, lows I experience if I'm there too often or too much. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have not, I don't have a rule. I don't have a life rule quite yet that pins that down. Um, but I'm developing one as I go. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird new thing. Cause it's not something that you get, we don't get taught in school. Like this is how you use your phone. Cause when I was in school, when you were in school, like didn't really have phones, wasn't really a thing that we were doing, but now it's like, how do we, how do we manage all of this? And then 
like for me, like it steals away my rest. It steals away my joy at a certain point. At some point, right. like I have, like you said, we have to do it for, for work and jobs. And I wouldn't know you if it wasn't for the internet. Right. But yep. like, how do we, how do we manage these things? How do we manage them well? And I want to yep. be able to manage it well before it completely spirals me and drains me. And out. I think that, and I think that's really the ball game is continuing to ask the question is, mm -hmm. is to, it, like, how, how is this thing affecting me again? Mm -hmm. That's a rest question is like you have space in your time, you space and time in your life to actually ask the question, how is this thing affecting me when you're not using it all day because you have to. Um, yeah. So continue to ask the question. Uh, Andy Crouch's most recent book is a really good examination of this and I'm blanking on the name of the book. But if you just look at Andy, if you go to Andy Crouch's profile anywhere, you call Byron at Hearts and Minds and ask which, you know, which is the most recent Andy Crouch. His new book is about our relationship with specifically our like our miniaturized digital tech it's really mm. well fantastic yeah. he's brilliant uh all right let's finish this out and play the game, the game. finish the, finish the sentence i don't know if it's a game it's more of like a activity but uh anyways it's more fun if it's a game let's call it a game it's a game it's a big time game and there will be winners and there will be losers uh Please. and it goes like this the perfect breakfast is eggs on toast with uh sriracha Coffee? Well, the coffee is like an all-day thing. It's not a breakfast specific. <laughs> uh, what's your What's your coffee style, and how many throughout the day? Uh, black, um, just plain black, and I'll have two. Two? Just two cups? I'm back. I'm back down to two. Good for you. That's great. I think I'm back up to. Anyways, we don't talk about that. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I I would tell my eighth grade self that. It gets way better than this and to quit being so worried about what girls think. I still tell myself that at 33. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. Uh, one of the things I love about your writing is it's well, we, I feel like we have kind of similar styles is the things that we're writing are often the things that we need to hear time and time again. Yes. What are what are like what are a couple of those those things for you that you need to hear time and time again? Um, you've only got so much time, hmm. so be be very aware of this day in the context of the few you have and the few you have left. I need to know. I need to remind myself that all the time. Um, people, the people who love you love you better than you. Uh, than you think they do. The people who actually love you love you better than you think or expect them to. Those are the two things that I need over and over again. Uh, going back to that first one, uh, I used to work with a, a guy by the name of of, of Barrett, uh, and he was he passed through the church that I was also working at. And his screensaver on his computer was a countdown until he was like eighty five years old. And I was like, one day I walked to the coffee shop, and he's sitting there. It's up, and I go, what What are you counting down till? And he goes, my death. And I was like, that's super dark, but I, I get it. Like, I get it. We only have we only have so much time. All right. Next one. I could give a TED talk or a presentation about. Creativity and spiritual formation. It's perfect. Is there any like, is there like another one? Like something random, like the history of Transformers or like. <laughs> um on the the sacred nature of character development in the marvel uh cinema universe i'm sitting in that one i'm sitting in that one all right when i wake up tomorrow i will 
Uh, walk into the bird's room if she's not awake and squeeze her and um, uh, tell her she's super great. This is your daughter we're talking about. She's six. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last one. Sacred Strides by Justin McRoberts is a really helpful uh, tool and book for a season in which a lot of us uh, need to find a more um, satisfying rhythm between rest and work, and more importantly, need to know that rest and work aren't the ends of the game. Perfect. I, I would say that you passed the game. You won the game. Hey, I, I'll take it. Unfortunately, I got second place, which is hard because it's my podcast. Um, Justin, where can where can people find your work? All, all this will be linked in the show notes. But uh, sure. so my favorite bookstore, my favorite bookstore in the country, if you go to heartsandmindsbooks.com or just search Byron Borger's name, heartsandmindsbooks.com is, uh, is, is a bookstore in Dallas, Pennsylvania. They ship all over the country, all over the world. They're great. Uh, that's my favorite place for you to buy a book. Um, okay. If if you're a normal other person and you're then you're like it'll be at Amazon, it'll be at Barnes, it'll probably be at a few of the local uh, bookshops, and it'll be wherever I am for the next year or so. So, yeah, that's an option. Yeah. Well, I'll point people to your website as well. Uh, but thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, it's always good to t- chat with you. Every time, dude. Thanks. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Huge thanks to Justin McRoberts for joining me on this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about Justin's work, to connect with him, and to buy Sacred Strides. And while you're surfing the web, do people still do that? Do they still say they still surf the web? We don't say surf the web, but we still do, right? Anyways, you can visit writtentospeak.com to check out the latest blog, shop the store, or book me for an upcoming event. Or if you just want to send me a message, hey, I I said this every episode, I love getting y'all's messages. It is, it's the best part of my week. It's awesome. So thank you for, for, saying, for saying hello. Special thanks to Matt Daring for creating the music for this podcast. And that's it for me. That'll do it for this episode. I'll be back next Monday with another episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. But until then, much love. Much love always. We'll see you.